0: Section twenty-seven of the minister's wooing. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Minister's Wooing by Harriet Beecher Stowe, Chapter Twenty-Four, Part One when mrs marvin began to amend mary returned to the home cottage and resumed the details of her industrious and quiet life between her and her two best friends had fallen a curtain of silence the subject that filled all her thoughts could not be named between them the doctor often looked at her pale cheeks and drooping form with a face of honest sorrow and heaved deep sighs as she passed but he did not find any power within himself by which he could approach her when he would speak, and she turned her sad, patient eyes so gently on him, the words went back again to his heart, and there, taking a second thought, spread upward wing in prayer. Mrs. Scudder sometimes came to her room after she was gone to bed, and found her weeping, and when gently she urged her to sleep, she would wipe her eyes so patiently, and turn her head with such obedient sweetness, that her mother's heart utterly failed her for hours mary sat in her room with james's last letter spread out before her how anxiously had she studied every word and phrase in it weighing them to see if the hope of eternal life were in them how she dwelt on those last promises had he kept them ah to die without one word more would no angel tell her would not the loving god who knew all just whisper one word he must have read the little bible what had he thought what did he feel in that awful hour when he felt himself drifting on to that fearful eternity perhaps he had been regenerated perhaps there had been a sudden change who knows she had read of such things perhaps ah in that perhaps lies a world of anguish love will not hear of it love dies for certainty against an uncertainty who can brace the soul we put all our forces of faith and prayer against it and it goes down just as a buoy sinks in the water and the next moment it is up again the soul fatigues itself with efforts which come and go in waves and when with laborious care she has adjusted all things in the light of hope back flows the tide and sweeps all away in such struggles life spends itself fast an inward wound does not carry one deathward more surely than this worst wound of the soul god has made us so mercifully that there is no certainty however dreadful to which life-forces do not in time adjust themselves but to uncertainty there is no possible adjustment where is he Oh, question of questions question which we suppress but which a power of infinite force still urges on the soul who feels a part of herself torn away mary sat at her window in evening hours and watched the slanting sunbeams through the green blades of grass and thought one year ago he stood there with his well-knit manly form his bright eye his buoyant hope his victorious mastery of life and where was he now was his heart as sick longing for her as hers for him was he looking back to earth and its joys with pangs of unutterable regret or had a divine power interpenetrated his soul and lighted there the flame of a celestial love which bore him far above earth if he were among the lost in what age of eternity could she ever be blessed could christ be happy if those who were one with him were sinful and accursed and could christ's own loved ones be happy when those with whom they have exchanged being in whom they live and feel are as wandering stars for whom is reserved the mist of darkness for ever she had been taught that the agonies of the lost would be for ever in sight of the saints without abating in the least their eternal joys nay that they would find in it increasing motives to praise and adoration could it be so would the last act of the great bridegroom of the church be to strike from the heart of his purified bride those yearnings of self-devoting love which his whole example had taught her and in which she reflected as in a glass his own nature if not is there not some provision by which those roots of deathless love which christ's betrothed ones strike into other hearts shall have a divine redeeming power question vital as life blood to ten thousand hearts fathers mothers wives husbands to all who feel the infinite sacredness of love after the first interview with mrs marvin the subject which had so agitated them was not renewed she had risen at last from her sick-bed as thin and shadowy as a faded moon after sunrise candace often shook her head mournfully as her eyes followed her about her daily tasks once only with mary she alluded to the conversation which had passed between them it was one day when they were together spinning in the north up a room that looked out upon the sea it was a glorious day a ship was coming in under full sail with white gleaming wings mrs marvin watched it a few moments the gay creature so full of exultant life and then smothered down an inward groan and mary thought she heard her saying thy will be done mary she said gently i hope you will forget all i said to you that dreadful day it had to be said or i should have died mary i begin to think that it is not best to stretch our minds with reasonings where we are so limited where we can know so little i am quite sure there must be dreadful mistakes somewhere it seems to me irreverent and shocking that a child should oppose a father or a creature its creator i never should have done it only that where direct questions are presented to the judgment one cannot help judging if one is required to praise a being as just and good one must judge of his actions by some standard of right and we have no standard but such as our creator has placed in us i have been told it was my duty to attend to these subjects and i have tried to and the result has been that the facts presented seem wholly irreconcilable with any notions of justice or mercy that i am able to form if these be the facts i can only say that my nature is made entirely opposed to them if i followed the standard of right they present and acted according to my small mortal powers on the same principles i should be a very bad person any father who should make such use of power over his children as they say the deity does with regard to us would be looked upon as a monster by our very imperfect moral sense yet i cannot say that the facts are not so when i heard the doctor's sermons on sin unnecessary means of the greatest good i could not extricate myself from the reasoning i have thought in desperate moments of giving up the bible itself but what do i gain do i not see the same difficulty in nature i see everywhere a being whose main ends seem to be beneficent but whose good purposes are worked out at terrible expense of suffering and apparently by the total sacrifice of myriads of sensitive creatures i see unflinching order general good-will but no sympathy no mercy storms earthquakes volcanoes sickness death go on without regarding us everywhere i see the most hopeless unrelieved suffering and for aught i see it may be eternal immortality is a dreadful chance and i would rather never have been the doctor's dreadful system is i confess much like the laws of nature about what one may reason out from them there is but just one thing remaining and that is as candace said the cross of christ if god so loved us if he died for us greater love hath no man than this it seems to me that love is shown here in the two highest forms possible to our comprehension we see a being who gives himself for us and more than that harder than that a being who consents to the suffering of a dearer than self mary i feel that i must love more to give up one of my children to suffer than to consent to suffer myself there is a world of comfort to me in the words he that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all how shall he not with them also freely give us all things these words speak to my heart i can interpret them by my own nature and i rest on them if there is a fathomless mystery of sin and sorrow there is a deeper mystery of god's love so mary i try candace's way i look at christ i pray to him if he that has seen him has seen the father it is enough i rest there i wait what i know not now i shall know hereafter mary kept all things and pondered them in her heart she could speak to no one not to her mother nor to her spiritual guide for had she not passed to a region beyond theirs as well might those on the hither side of mortality instruct the souls gone beyond the veil as souls outside a great affliction guide those who are struggling in it that is a mighty baptism and only christ can go down with us into those waters mrs scudder and the doctor only marked that she was more than ever conscientious in every duty and that she brought to life's daily reality something of the calmness and disengagedness of one whose soul has been wrenched by a mighty shock from all moorings here below hopes did not excite fears did not alarm her Life had no force strong enough to awaken a thrill within, and the only subjects on which she ever spoke with any degree of ardour were religious subjects. One who should have seen moving about the daily ministrations of the cottage a pale girl, whose steps were firm, whose eye was calm, whose hands were ever busy, would scarce imagine that through that silent heart were passing tides of thought that measured a universe but it was even so through that one gap of sorrow flowed in the whole awful mystery of existence and silently as she spun and sewed she thought over and over again all that she had ever been taught and compared and revolved it by the light of a dawning inward revelation sorrow is the great birth agony of immortal powers sorrow is the great searcher and revealer of hearts the great test of truth for plato has wisely said sorrow will not endure sophisms all shams and unrealities melt in the fire of that awful furnace sorrow reveals forces in ourselves we never dreamed of the soul a bound and sleeping prisoner hears her knock on her cell door and wakens oh how narrow the walls oh how close and dark the grated window how the long useless wings beat against the impassable barriers where are we what is this prison what is beyond oh for more air more light when will the door be opened the soul seems to itself to widen and to deepen it trembles at its own dreadful forces it gathers up in waves that break with wailing only to flow back into the everlasting void the calmest and most centered natures are sometimes thrown by the shock of a great sorrow into a tumultuous amazement all things are changed the earth no longer seems solid the skies no longer secure a deep abyss seems underlying every joyous scene of life the soul struck with this awful inspiration is a mournful cassandra she sees blood on every threshold and shudders in the midst of mirth and festival with the weight of a terrible wisdom who shall there be glad any more that has once seen the frail foundations on which love and joy are built our brighter hours have they only been weaving a network of agonizing remembrances for this day of bereavement the heart is pierced with every past joy with every hope of its ignorant prosperity behind every scale in music the gayest and cheeriest the grandest the most triumphant lies its dark relative minor the notes are the same but the change of a semitone changes all to gloom all our gayest hours are tunes that have a modulation into these dreary keys ever possible at any moment the key note may be struck the firmest best prepared natures are often beside themselves with astonishment and dismay when they are called to this dread initiation they thought it a very happy world before a glorious universe now it is darkened with the shadow of insoluble mysteries why this everlasting tramp of inevitable laws on quivering life if the wheels must roll why must the crushed be so living and sensitive and yet sorrow is godlike sorrow is grand and great sorrow is wise and far-seeing our own instinctive valuations the intense sympathy which we give to the tragedy which god has inwoven into the laws of nature show us that it is with no slavish dread no cowardly shrinking that we should approach her divine mysteries what are the natures that cannot suffer who values them from the fat oyster over which the silver tide rises and falls without one pulse upon its fleshy ear to the hero who stands with quivering nerve parting with wife and child and home for country and god all the way up is an ascending scale marked by increasing power to suffer and when we look to the head of all being up through principalities and powers and princedoms with dazzling orders and celestial blazonry to behold by what emblem the infinite sovereign chooses to reveal himself we behold in the midst of the throne a lamb as it had been slain sorrow is divine sorrow is reigning on the throne of the universe and the crown of all crowns has been one of thorns there have been many books that treat of the mystery of sorrow, but only one that bids us glory in tribulation, and count it all joy when we fall into divers afflictions, that so we may be associated with that great fellowship of suffering, of which the incarnate God is the head, and through which he is carrying a redemptive conflict to a glorious victory over evil. If we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him." even in the very making up of our physical nature god puts suggestions of such a result weeping may endure for a night but joy cometh in the morning there are victorious powers in our nature which are all the while working for us in our deepest pain it is said that after the sufferings of the rack there ensues a period in which the simple repose from torture produces a beatific trance it is the reaction of nature asserting the benignant intentions of her creator so after great mental conflicts and agonies must come a reaction and the divine spirit co-working with our spirit seizes the favourable moment and interpenetrating natural laws with a celestial vitality carries up the soul to joys beyond the ordinary possibilities of mortality it is said that gardeners sometimes when they would bring a rose to richer flowering deprive it for a season of light and moisture silent and dark it stands dropping one fading leaf after another and seeming to go down patiently to death but when every leaf is dropped and the plant stands stripped to the uttermost a new life is even then working in the buds from which shall spring a tender foliage and a brighter wealth of flowers so often in celestial gardening every leaf of earthly joy must drop before a new and divine bloom visits the soul end of section twenty seven